Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be up here again to share with you. Uh, when Eric planned uh, on doing a, a series on Proverbs, I was really excited to possibly be a part of it. I was really looking forward to it. Um, and to let you in behind the scenes of scheduling, uh, I was supposed to share this, this message with you like two weeks ago. So, but with uh, visiting, you know, traveling to visit family, I was sick, Eric was sick. I just was not feeling as prepared as I wanted to. Um, so I asked Eric if we could trade weeks. Was that going to like mess up the flow of the, of the topics and everything, I've, even though obviously it's all in Proverbs? But I'm so glad that I did. Um, and I'm pretty certain now that that was the wise decision. See what I did there? Yeah, there. <laughs> but um, so when I prepare to share with all of you, you know, I spend a lot of time studying and listening to podcasts and reading commentaries and other books. And then I just spend a lot of time, you know, contemplating, walking, thinking about it before I ever write anything down. And in hindsight, looking back, I really actually think that the order in which our series has come together was not an accident. And so I hope that you think that too as we continue this morning. So let's pray um, as we start our morning. God, just thank you so much uh, for your word and for the wisdom um, that we can um, get from it. We just were thankful that you promised that you will give us wisdom when we ask God. God, be with me this morning as I share um, the things that you have taught me uh, during my time preparing God. And I just pray that, um, that people's hearts uh, yeah, would be open to hearing what you would have to speak to them this morning. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so who remembers learning about personification in school? Some people, some people. For some of you students, maybe you like learned about that this year, maybe last week. But for the rest of us, it might be like 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right, since we've like officially looked at the definition of personification, although we encounter personification almost every day. So here is the dictionary definition of personification, and it is the um, attribution of a personal nature to human characteristics or human characteristics to something non-human or the representation of an abstract quality in human form. So then, as I was looking up examples of personification, one of the first things that popped in my head was this movie, Inside Out. I don't know, this is like a few years old, right? But basically the entire movie is personification and it's giving life to the feelings of sadness and anger and fear and joy and disgust. And even though it's not really exactly how our brain actually works, it brings up you know, emotions and ideas and probably sparks a lot of conversations. Uh, this, as I was looking up more about you know, why, why authors use personification, I came across this quote and it says, the use of personification in the literature has great impact as it showcases a non-human entity more vivid and lively along with a human attribute. The main objective of using this device is to grab the reader's attention as well as their emotional support and make the entire write-up prominent and remarkable. In short, it boosts the reader's emotion and sensitivity. So, you know, think of advertisements. Later today, many of us will be watching the Super Bowl, and for more than just football, right? For commercials. Commercials are full of personification. It grabs our attention. 
think about advertisements for the past 30, or throughout the past 30 years, I was trying to look up like what are some of the personification examples. We got Ronald McDonald, one of the creepiest actually, you know, personifications. I don't know if he is McDonald's basically. We have the Kool-Aid man, um, Chester Cheeto. I don't know if you young, I mean, you guys know Chester Cheeto, right? Kool-Aid is not as popular as it was. We kind of realized like drinking pure sugar, probably not the best plan. Um, then we have Mr. Peanut, we have the M&Ms. And then I came across, I thought about the Pillsbury Doughboy, right? He's like the personification of a piece of dough, right? Like a crescent roll, I don't know. And then as I was Google, Google image searching, I can't help but share this one. This is Michelangelo's creation of Adam with God like doing the thing to the Doughboy's stomach. What does he make? Woohoo! yeah, that sound. So. All of these companies, right? All of these companies and their ads. Uh, sorry, guys, I'll go back to that for a second. All of these companies know that this personification is going to grab our attention. It's going to make us take notice. And guess what? Ancient biblical writers understood this as well. So today, um, as we continue our series in Proverbs, we're going to be taking a look at wisdom personified. So in Proverbs, um, and we've seen this already in the past few weeks, uh, Solomon repeatedly uses the words, my son, when he's addressing his audience. And many biblical scholars would agree that he's not just a addressing like one son. It's probably a group of young men maybe that are like in the court, like they're, they're going to be important guys someday. And so to get the attention of these uh, young men and uh, talk about wisdom, what is he going to use to uh, grab their attention? He's going to use women, right? So we learn now uh, in Proverbs 9 about the decision to choose the life of wisdom or the life of foolishness um, or essentially kind of like just the opposite of wisdom through the personification of two women in Proverbs chapter 9, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Now, Solomon uses the idea of wisdom and folly as women throughout the book of Proverbs. I'll refer to one of the other um, mentions um, today, and then Eric is going to talk about one of those next week as well. But I think it's important, I previewed this slide a second ago, um, to talk about that the Hebrew word for Proverbs is mashal, and you can see the actual Hebrew up there. But basically that means comparison or analogy. So uh, we, we are going to look today um, at the comparisons. And last week we heard a lot of comparisons from our brother Steve as he showed us the importance that God puts on our hearts when it comes to making wise decisions. And today we're gonna to see the comparison between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, which is basically like a choice between two paths that we can think of. Now, I'm really excited to show you Proverbs 9 and the amazing literary art that it actually is. So I'm gonna show you this picture. I know the text is very small and we're not, I'm not showing you this so that we can actually read it. I'll have some other bigger text. But we're using this um, to look at the structure, right? So not only does the structure of Proverbs 9 make it a beautiful piece of art, but it actually informs its meaning. So I'm gonna step back, look at it. So this was my little kind of drawing of it. So if you look at Proverbs 9, we have six verses, six verses, six verses, right? So this is poetry. So this is, I mean, if you guys have had to study poetry in school, you can kind of see like the different stanzas, right? And a lot of, and you can, it's kind of fun if you go back and look at other Proverbs, you can see the way that the ancient writers uh, used 
like these principles of poetry to, to help with what they were trying to say. And so this, if we look at it, um, and this happens in a lot of Proverbs, uh, we're gonna talk about Proverbs 31 next week, and that's gonna be a different um, structure of poetry. This one is kind of like an inverted like tortilla or um, yeah, something like origami. So I've, I've been taking a, uh, or I, I finished a, a class um, through the Bible Project on reading the Hebrew Bible, and that's like what our instructor talked about, is like folding it like a tortilla. And you can kind of see how the two sides come together, but they're actually directing our attention to the middle. And I, as I was reading this, because I was like, the middle kind of seems like out of place. Like, why are they talking about what Lady Wisdom kind of like veering off and then talking about what Lady Folly? But there's a reason. So now we're going to look at uh, the actual text. So here is uh, Proverbs 9, starting in verse 1. So we're going to have, here's, here's what we learned about Lady Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. And this is the only time I'm going to divert real quick. But seven pillars, we could like go down a whole tangent for like multiple weeks talking about the number seven in the Bible. But in short, it has been a number representing completeness. And that's not an accident that that's what's written about um, Wisdom has built her house well. Wisdom has built her house well. It's complete. So if you go back, it says, she has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She's prepared. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. live. Walk in the way of insight. So we heard about Lady Wisdom. So now we're kind of, we're looking in the middle, but imagine that like we're, we're directed this way from both ends. So this is what it says in verse seven. Uh, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So see where the whole thing is directing us to in the middle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And now we learn, okay, well, what's the the lady folly like? Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little did they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So if we kind of think of it as the, whole, as the whole story. What can we learn about the quest for wisdom from this passage? You know, both the wise woman and the foolish woman are calling to their readers. They actually say the same thing. Let all who are simple come to my house. But as we read, the consequences of each of these invitations is very different. You know, hanging out with Lady Wisdom brings life. Hanging out with Lady Folly brings death even though the guests don't realize it at first. You know, because sometimes the decision between wisdom and foolishness is not as easy as it seems. 
and sometimes the foolish choice can seem attractive to us. You know, woman wisdom and woman folly are rivals for the attention of the same group of people, thus creating a need for a decision. That was a, a quote that I heard on a podcast, The Bible for Normal People. And so essentially, every day, multiple times a day, we're making that decision between wisdom and folly. But the search for wisdom started all the way back in the Garden of Eden and has continued throughout time till today. So I want to look at two different stories um, that, had very, that ended very differently and discuss why. It's, it's two different uh, people, or one has two people, going after, seeking wisdom. So first we're going to look at the garden, and this is in Genesis chapter 3. Um, this is after God had created everything and had given instructions to Adam and Eve that they could eat anything in the garden except for the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this is uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of, in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Whoop. Let me go. Do, do, do. So we have verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, many of us know that ultimately Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. You know, even in exile, God provided for them, but the presence of God and the opportunity for an ideal life ruling alongside him was no longer. And we'll come back to them in a minute after we look at our second story, another comparison, right, similar to what we did already. So we're going to talk about Solomon um, shortly after becoming king following his father David's death, and he's also seeking wisdom. So this is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern and your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. So in this case... God gives Solomon the wisdom that he asks. So how are these two situations different? So I made a little chart. Uh, well, in the garden, Eve and then Adam took the fruit, right? They took it and ate it, looking for the knowledge of good and evil. Seeking wisdom apart from God ultimately led to separation from him. 
their motives were somewhat selfish. You know, they had everything they needed, along with the relationship with their creator, who had invited them to rule creation alongside him. But they desired more for themselves. They didn't trust God. Their loving creator had given them a direct command, which they knowingly went against. Uh, They wanted to be wise in their own eyes. Now, Solomon, on the other hand, you know, he had just been tasked with like leading this people and he asked God for wisdom to be able to lead well. So his motive was for others. And the important part is that he asked, right? He went directly to God, the source of wisdom. And we we see that he was blessed. Now God promises to give us wisdom when we seek it. Later in the New Testament, um, in James chapter one, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You know, as I was, you know, thinking and, and meditating on the theme of wisdom in Proverbs, something stuck out to me. Um, and I was trying to, you know, Proverbs 8 and 9 together is, is a lot. But I think it's important that we actually uh, look at um, the discussion of lady wisdom and folly in the chapter before. And so this is Proverbs 8. So just one chapter before what we just read. And this, ta- this is still talking about lady wisdom. So same lady wisdom. It says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud. Now, because we don't have enough time to read the entire chapter eight, I'm gonna skip ahead, but I would really encourage you later to go back and read the whole thing. And you'll notice in Proverbs 8, it's pretty cool, and it connects to um, reading Genesis, is that, that Lady Wisdom was there from the beginning of creation. And that, that, that'll show in the verses in between what, what we just read and what we're about to read. But then in, in uh, verse 32, it says this, and this is what stuck out to me. Now then my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Now we need to kind of look back ahead at Proverbs 9 and compare them. And I don't know if there's a word that stuck out to you, But basically, the door shouted at me as I thought about it, right? Anytime we see repeated words in the Bible, we should take notice and do some more digging about it. So we know from chapter 9, this is the Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, that they're calling out from their homes, essentially from their doorways, right? And we see that in chapter 8, that the ones who are blessed are watching daily at the door, The ones who are truly seeking wisdom, they're not even waiting for Lady Wisdom to call them. They're they're sitting outside her door daily. So after multiple weeks of studying Proverbs, I hope that many of us are desiring that type of relationship with Lady Wisdom. But what does like sitting outside Lady Wisdom's door, what does that look like in our actual context? So, you know, we've talked about it a couple ways during our series, and one of those is prayer. And look at that, like, we just heard of an awesome opportunity um, where we can all together be in prayer uh, these coming weeks. And, you know, like Solomon, during those prayer walks, we can ask God for wisdom. 
He wants us to be wise. He wanted Adam and Eve to be wise. He wanted Solomon to be wise. But it does, we have to look to him, right? We have to go to him for that wisdom. Now, I'm not just talking about asking God for wisdom when you have a huge decision to make, although that is a good time to, to go to him as well. But again, in their podcast, The Bible for Normal People, the hosts say this, everything is a choice between wisdom and folly. Everything is a choice. You know, we should be asking God for wisdom throughout our day. Like, anything we need to do, um, we need to practice. We need to do things over and over before they naturally become part of our life. You know, before we, like, put our feet on the ground in the morning, we should be asking for wisdom. Or as I thought about that, in our context, before we, and I left my phone over there, but before we, like, pick up our phone and put the passcode in or use our fingerprint, right, we should be asking for wisdom as we scroll through whatever, whatever app we're, we're on, um, before we answer emails or texts or direct messages. And as we ask God for, for wisdom, maybe he's going to tell us to put our phone down, right? In the first week of these series, um, Matt told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And we heard that again in our passage today. We heard it last week. So as I listened um, to the Bible Project, which I highly recommend, you can ask me about it later if you have questions, but I was listening to a podcast about wisdom and the fear of the Lord, and, and I love the way they discussed it. They mentioned, so this takes us back to the garden, that Adam and Eve, they were the first people to ever fear the Lord, but it was after they disobeyed God, right? So it was after they made a decision and ate from the tree, so fearing God after we make a decision is very different than fearing the Lord before we make a decision. You know, the whole purpose of wisdom literature in the Bible is to cultivate or bring about the fear of the Lord in us. You know, we want to fear the Lord and seek his wisdom before we make a decision and not just fear the consequences of the decision that we made. You know, this might mean slowing down and waiting before we make a decision, spending time in silence and prayer, reading scripture to learn more about God's character so we can know him and what he wants for us. Which leads me to the next way that we can seek wisdom that I want to focus on a lot today. And that's reading scripture, reading the Bible, right? So uh, Eric shared, I believe it was the first, the first in-person sermon of, of this year, um, from Matthew chapter uh, 7. And this is what, it was talking about the wise and foolish builder, right? another comparison between wisdom and foolishness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now notice it said, hear these words of mine. You know, and Eric talked about two weeks ago about Jesus being the wisdom of God. We're talking about personification. You know, there's no greater personification. The word made flesh. Jesus is the personification of God. And if we want to know who God is and what he says, we can look to Jesus. But how do we know the words of Jesus? Well, we have to read them. You know, we also have awesome technology in our pockets or sitting over there where we can listen to God's word while we drive or while we take a walk. And the church also comes together on Sundays so in or, and in other small groups throughout the week to hear from God's word. 
we meet together to seek God's wisdom from his word. Uh, I love this, uh, this quote that I read or heard as well. Wisdom is more than just reading, though. It's reinterpreting the text for our moment in time, cultures, context. And that's what we hope to do on Sundays and in groups. Uh, this quote, this is from a, a pretty new book that I just got. It's called How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. And it says this, the books in the library of the Bible are for all people at all times and places to read and gain wisdom from. But the Bible wasn't originally written to us. It wasn't written in any modern language and it wasn't written with our contemporary culture and its assumptions and values in mind. In order to understand the Bible, we can't just read verses here and there. You know, in the same book um, that I just mentioned, there's an entire chapter just titled, Never Read a Bible Verse, right? So at least, the, the advice is to at least read a paragraph. You need context. So I, I was thinking, think about if somebody uh, took your phone and unlocked it and then just like randomly scrolled through text messages and just chose one. Any volunteers, you know, to like give me your phone right now? Right? Probably not, because one line in all of those text messages can be taken out of context. You know, the people who are reading that text message, they don't know the backstory, they don't know, you know, inside jokes, and we wouldn't understand the relationship between you and its recipient, right? Well, when we read God's word, we need to understand those same things. The Bible was written over 1,500 years in different places, in different genres, but it's all telling one story pointing to Jesus. I know the next thing I'm about to say might seem like a little overwhelming, but basically, to truly understand God's word, we actually need to read the Bible in its entirety multiple times and meditate on it. That, that's how scripture was, was given to us. You know, it was meant to be read and reread and memorized throughout our lifetime. Psalm 1 says this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in its law, the law, sorry, those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it, on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Now the Hebrew word for meditate in this passage and many other, other places in the Bible um, in Psalms is the word haga, and uh, it can mean to kind of like whisper or mutter to yourself. So you can imagine that, that that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing with scripture. The other thing that it can mean is like to kind of like think of like a lion after they're, uh, they like, caught something and are eating something, and they're kind of like groaning or, mu or muttering almost over something that this food is so good. You know, maybe that's something that you can relate to, like eating something so delicious that you're actually like making sounds. Um, I started making fun of Eric a long time ago because uh, every time that he eats something he likes, he would be like dancing. He didn't even notice it. <laughs> but, um, but essentially, reading God's word is not something that we do because we have to. It's like eating the best meal that you ever tasted. You know, so think back to Lady Wisdom. Think of the person sitting next to Lady Wisdom's door day and night because she provided such a good meal that you can't wait for the next banquet. 
go. You know, I started following Jesus almost, almost exactly 30 years ago, and I've been fortunate to be part of churches and small groups and Bible studies that have inspired me to have a love of reading and studying the Bible. And I can remember significant people that I've been in studies with and the discussions that we had about God, what God's teaching us. And I'm sure many of you can share those same experiences. You know, about, about 10 years ago, um, like in church one day, I felt God tugging at my heart that I just really wanted to read the entire Bible over the next year. And I didn't know, but God did, that that was the year that Kieran would need open heart surgery. And having read of God's love and faithfulness daily in the months leading to that time, I was more at peace than I could ever have hoped for. You know, meditating, whispering, muttering, enjoying whatever, whatever uh, um, picture you have of God's word had gotten me through times like that surgery or moving across the country away from friends and family two different times. And I'll tell you that the deep knowledge of the love and confidence in God's strength that came from years of seeking to know him more through his word, I'm still in awe. You know, as I was studying just for, for today uh, about Proverbs and wisdom and its connection to the creation story and Psalm 1 and how the entire Hebrew Bible is giving us a picture of the future anointed one who will bring the kingdom of heaven near, Jesus. Like, the power of God to reveal new truths to me through his word is better than any meal that I could ever eat. And I have an Instagram dedicated to food, right? <laughs> so I like, yeah, I like food. You know, those times where God reveals those things, and he, it feels like he's speaking directly to me, you know, as the Holy Spirit helps me to understand, and especially when I'm able to share the things that he's taught me to all of you. However, the Bible was not meant to be studied alone. Remember, the first readings of the Bible were oral readings, right? This was an illiterate culture, for the most part, that, that was first, you know, hearing these readings. And it was read from a scroll, in a group of people recounting the stories that they had been told. Or like letters like Paul's in the New Testament were read aloud to a church or group from beginning to end. You know, we're not meant to seek wisdom alone. Matt reminded us in our first week of the series that wisdom is found in community. We need, you know, we need all types of relationships in our life of all different types of people. But I was thinking about how do we know in what relationships we should seek wisdom? So as I was thinking about that this week and walking, you know, I want to share something that came to me um, as it relates to wisdom and community. Um, you know, I, I said I was taking class on like the introduction of the Hebrew Bible, and it's talking about how to, you know, how to read poetry, how to read uh, biblical narrative, but then the, the um, and kind of how the Bible came together. So the instructor was talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls that many of you probably have heard of, and um, so the story of the scrolls is that, think, scrolls, the group of Jewish people had hid the Dead Sea Scrolls in jars, in caves, while fleeing from the Romans during the destruction of Jerusalem in the like, year 70 AD. So they thought the wisdom that had been passed down on those scrolls was so important you know, that, they had to, that they had to hide it, right? It had to be preserved. You know, earlier um, in the class that I was taking, we were talking about the Torah and um, if you know the Bible Project, they use a lot of um, pictures, imagery, things like that. And so there was a picture that we saw of basically like the Torah as a scroll lasting 
through the entire exile of Israel and through the prophets. I mean, think of all the things that happened that, that this was able to continue through. And so then I was picturing scrolls and the wisdom contained in them like a baton passed from one runner to another, right? So Paul talks about our life of faith as a race in the New Testament. And the vision I had was of, of us continuing to pass this baton of wisdom from one runner to another. And I thought of how that related to who we choose to look to for wisdom. You know, if we wanted to successfully run, if we want to successfully run the race before us of faith, we need to look to people that are experienced runners, right? Fellow runners who can pass us the baton of wisdom, not those who are on the sidelines or ones that have given up on running, but those who are running faithfully every day. And we don't have to run alone, right? We are seeking after wisdom together. You know, last week, the elder board of our church, you know, met as they do often, and they together pray, they read scripture, have community as they're seeking after God's wisdom for our church together. In the same way, the leadership team, the pastors, the leaders of our church meet together every week to do the same. And I hope that you have a missional community or group where you're seeking after wisdom together. And if you need help getting started with your wisdom journey, um, there'll be people up front that would love to pray with you after service, but also answer questions and provide resources on how to begin reading the Bible and to help you find a community of people to do that with. I would love to talk to anyone after service as well. But, but the thing to remember is that we're doing this together. So I'm going to ask the band um, to come back up and uh, to lead us in worship, and I'm going to pray uh, to close. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the wisdom that, that we can um, get from, from reading your word. Thank you that you promise that you will give us wisdom if we ask. Thank you for the ways that what you taught me over the last weeks of, of looking um, closer at these passages, God. And, and I pray that, um, that someone would be inspired to seek after wisdom today and maybe sit at the door daily of, of Lady Wisdom, God. And just thank you for the beautiful art that your scripture is, that not only does it, does it uh, teach us, but it's beautiful. And so we just thank you so much that, that this whole, all, all of these things point to Jesus. Um, and so we pray all of this in his name. Amen.